welcome to a TWI Innovation Network podcast on digitalization and advanced manufacturing. In this first episode, TWI Innovation Network Head of Business Development, Jim Salshuk, is joined by guest speaker Nick Allott, CEO and co-founder of Enquiring Minds, a British company founded in 2010, specializing in smart cities, secure internet of things, and artificial intelligence analytics. That's what's to come. We hope you enjoy the show. We're here today as TWI Innovation Network um, on our very first podcast series. And um, uh, my name is Jem Salchuk. I'm uh, looking after the business development activities for the uh, TWI Innovation Network. And um, um, I'm joined with uh, Nick Allett of Inquiring Minds. Uh, the series we thought would have uh, the overarching title of Digitalization for Advanced Manufacturing. And, uh, and we'd like to a little bit um, dive into this uh, almost from the basic concept to uh, a more um, detailed um, a meaning for digitalization uh, when it comes to manufacturing. Um, so uh, uh, Nick, welcome on board. And um, if you'd like to say a few words about yourself, um, then we can start with our conversation. Thank you. So yeah, Jen, uh, yeah, thank you very much for the intro. So um, by way of introduction, uh, I'm Nick from Inquiring Minds. Uh, essentially what we do at Inquiring Minds is uh, develop platforms for data sharing and data analytics. So we, we can do this in the cloud in terms of sharing and analyzing data between different organizations in the cloud, um, but also um, at the edge. So what, what that means is um, we can do analytics you know, in the context of manufacturing, next to the physical machine itself. Um, and we've used our um, tools and our services in many different uh, use cases across the sort of industrial and manufacturing sector. And maybe we'll talk a bit more about that shortly. That's great. So Nick, my um, first thing is, you know, if I think about digitalization, so what, if we were to so say, what does it mean? Um, so when we think about it, can we use actually data to manufacture an actual physical parts um, is uh, for me the most fascinating question. You know, uh, and we talk about data. The data could be anything, as you said. You know, um, you know, in our daily lives, it could be the the washing machine running in the background. So then I have a pattern. Um, how many times one uh, turns on a TV a day? It's also a data. Uh, you know, on the social level, uh, to almost you know a number of goods one buys. Um, and if, if, to be more technical, even signals from a, I don't know, monitoring device on a wind turbine. So uh, if this is data uh, that's out there, uh, what do we need to make an actual object with it, uh, would be my question. Um, well, maybe this sort of, before we go down, let's just pull it back to basics. So in the context of manufacturing, obviously you can do it old school analog style, you know, use a pen and paper design and sort of like feed it into, you know, a more, a more, more, more basic like analog type machine. But obviously, um, you know, uh, computers, IT technology, you know, data is becoming more and more pervasive and it starts to, um, you know, move its tendrils into various facets of the, of the life cycle of the device. 
So, I mean, broadly to understand, you know, the, the use case and the value for digitalization in manufacturing, we can break it into sort of four um, sort of like key phases. So it's, it's the data um, used to define the part itself. It's like, it's like you know, the drawings, the, the data relating to the material, all that type of stuff. Um, there's the data generated in the physical production and manufacturing of the device. Okay. Um, there's the data that's then generated while that device is being used, sort of like in its full sort of like life cycle from, you know, giving it to the initial customer until it's actually put in the ground. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth element, which is sort of interesting and crosses some of the boundaries, is, is the data relating to like the, the manufacturing value chain and the provenance of the materials, um, which, you know, for any real world manufacturing environment is a lot more complicated than you might first think. So I think those four um, phases, four, those four main use cases really start to paint the picture of where digitalization matters about for manufacturing. So that is interesting. Uh, so when it comes to um, defining that operating window, um, how can one uh, almost... Um, uh, play with the data to identify or establish the optimal data for a components uh, in, in, in your view? Well, yes, it's all about, you know, you, you work from your use case backwards. You know, it's a, the, the, the fundamental law of sort of like computing. It's all like start, start, start at the end and work backwards. The question is, what do you want to do? Um, now, I can, we can cherry pick and uh, so, some of these scenarios and, and dig into uh, detail. But I mean, for one obvious one, manufacturing, um, would be yield optimization. So how do I make the best use of uh, the materials that I've got and optimize you know, the physical yield, which, you know, from a business case, is, is going to be uh, one of the primary factors in terms of is, is this a profitable initiative or not? So yield, yield optimization is one uh, uh, scenario. Um, another might be um, the whole area of predictive maintenance. So the difference between sort of like yield and predictive maintenance, predictive maintenance is really looking at the operating cost. It's the OPEX of the process. Uh, and again, it's another sort of like very um, common um, uh, scenario touted in the, in the manufacturing industry. But you know, if you're setting off with the specific objective of you know, minimizing your operating costs and minimizing the, the, the effort and time and outage relating to maintenance, then there's a whole uh, chain of, uh, of data that you can, you, you can, you can look at um, to sort of like address that. And then the, you know, a, third, a third scenario, um, which might come on to later, is the whole sort of like net zero thing, which is it's almost like it's a different layer on, on the yield and the predictive maintenance, which is what you're doing is you're looking over the full life cycle of that of that physically manufactured product. You know, what is the what is the CO2 impact, which, again, is, is a complex scenario. Now, the only reason I say that is you know, those are three um, uh, uh, complementary, but certainly uh, not not. Uh, uh, not not complete set of use cases in terms of how data can be used in the manufacturing process. Depending upon which one you pick will determine A, what data you need to gather, and then B, what processes and systems and analytical pipelines you then have to apply to that data to achieve the objective that you're looking for. 
Um, so that's 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 the answer in big picture. But I mean, we can dig into any one of those if you like and go into more detail. If that's, if that's yeah. Um, so I mean, there are things like at the moment uh, or for a few years now. Um, when you say advanced manufacturing, people relate to 3D printing, additive manufacturing, whereby they use different forms of material, powders or wires and you know particulates, and often they subject these um, forms of material to very demanding conditions, uh, even when it, when turned into components, demanding operating conditions as people push the boundaries of applications to limits, you know, higher temperature, higher pressure, um, more stress. Um, and so um, how, how can we, uh, how does that work uh, when it comes to these challenges? And also put in the context of, like you said, net zero or questions like green manufacturing, green energy usage, sustainability, you know, these are all terms that are brought on the manufacturers to almost transform their uh, ways in which they manufacture parts. But um, I guess the data could help um, before um, making something, the data could help actually tune their processes a little bit. Uh, in this case, if you have lots of data, I, I would imagine one can actually um, tune their process to make it more green, use less energy, more efficient, etc. So what do you think about that when it comes to all these um, boundary conditions, let's say. Well, maybe let's break it into two parts. I mean, so so firstly, let's have the uh, the, the the selection of materials problem. So this isn't actually you know our area of expertise as a company, but we we have been exposed to the sense of the sense of the problem. So if you've got any complex part, any any complex device, you know it will it will consist of n moving subparts, and each of those um, subparts. Can have a, a difficult physical design topology and or also be created from you know a, a large number of different materials um, now when you look at all of those different parameters in combination you you have what you uh, call in the in the computing um, environment a state space explosion it basically means the number of parameters to look at an exercise to come up with the optimum solution is massively massively large um, um, and certainly that can be the case even to do with the, the basic topology. The, the, the number of permutations of topology you can have for the device is huge. So that here, here is the first opportunity, is how do we determine what is optimum? What is the optimum configuration of uh, physical material, um, you know, the consequence like in use and manufacturing behavior of that material and the topology of the device to come up with the best the, 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 the best device. So that's that's just looking at one facet of the material. So then let's look at the other facet. I use this phrase a minute, you know, what, what is the best device? So it's a lot more complicated than you might first think. I mean, we've recently been engaged in doing a little bit of manufacture ourselves. Um, very, very simple use case. We were manufacturing the encapsulation for a sensor device that we're creating. And instantly you're hit with two possibly, you know, um, antagonistic measures here, which is, okay, what is the optimum des design from the, from, the, from the sense of being able to source and produce the devices cheaply versus what is the optimal design in terms of how does it operate in use? So how does it function 
versus how difficult is it to make? So these are, these are conflicting um, sort of like requirements that, um, you know, where data is essential if you're going to have any sense of coming towards the, 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 the optimum solution here. So that's, that, that's, that, that's one angle. Um, and maybe if we can sort of like dig into, uh, you know, another concrete example in terms of uh, where we've applied our, our technologies to additive manufacturing itself. So um, yeah. recently, we um, just completed a, um, a project in the, in, in the area of um, laser additive manufacturing. Um, and yeah, again, as always, we're faced with the same constraints. You know, does it work? Does the device work for the purpose that it's intended? And you know, how can it be produced and how can you reduce the number of failures in that production? Mm -hmm. So instantly then, we have um, a, a problem which is we know in the normal additive manufacturing process that there are failures. Um, and those failures are often down to a, a, an unwanted buildup of, of heat in particular parts of the physical, physical process. So it's an in, this is a very interesting problem here where we have a, a large number of uh, data sources which can then be used real time to adjust the production process to reduce the failures. So very concretely, what do I mean here? So, you know, we're, we're building a device using a laser additive manufacturing technique. Uh, variable one is what material is, is being um, uh, used to build the device. Number, number two, what is the topology? What is the physical shape of the device that we're, that we're producing? And number three, assuming we have access to this information, which, which we do in the example I'm talking about, um, what is the, the, the local um, small scale buildup of heat um, uh, in the manufacturing process as the laser is going over the device? Um, now we can adjust all of those sets of variables to reduce the, the, the failure that we expect. We can change the material, we can change the topology, and we can also, interestingly, dynamically change the physical manufacturing process, like you know, changing um, laser strength, etc. So it's a very interesting, concrete example where you've got data fused from many different sources and being analysed very quickly, but then uh, that analysis being uh, you know, applied to the very specific problem of, you know, in this case, reducing build failures and therefore increasing yield. For data analytics, in fact, you're using the, this whole data to almost redesign the machine in certain ways. Can the machines accommodate this type of tweaking? Uh, you know, once you've done your analytics, do you think the, the machine manufacturers are able to, let's say, respond to the uh, results of the data analytics? Or is there a challenge there? Yeah, so I mean, a very interesting question. I mean, I, in the, in the somewhat simplified example I, I gave a minute ago, I sort of like gave three variables we could change to you know increase the yield. You know, we could change the material of the design. Fine, that's a one-off before the process starts. Easy. Two, we can change the the the, the, the topology, the physical design. Yeah, that's easily done. That can be done 
you know, it's a one-off process, needs a bit of feedback loop from the process to help identify which bits to redesign. But basically you only have to do that redesign once and then that, that moves into the, the, the manufacturing process itself. But then the third one is by far the most complicated and we start coming across some very interesting and complicated both technical and commercial problems. And the third one is, can we dynamically adjust the physical manufacturing process um, while it's happening? And so in the, in the specific example we're talking about, which is the, uh, the rapid adaption of the, of the laser, that can be like a, a hundred, hundred milliseconds or smaller change that needs to happen. Very, very fast, very, very quick. Now, the reality is, um, unless the machine has been designed with that type of control group uh, in, you know, the, the, the existing devices you have out there in the field um, are not going to be able to do that. You know, a new device that's been designed accommodating these sorts of fast, rapid control systems obviously can. But there, you know, there are millions, if not billions of pounds worth of physical stock already out there that's that right. ha has the manufacturing capability, but doesn't have some of these advanced um, control uh, systems built in. So this brings us into a whole new area that we've recently been, been looking at, actually in, in collaboration with TDI, which is how can we implement retrofit control systems onto existing, existing pieces of kit? Um, and it's, it, it's not easy, but um, we've definitely proven that it's possible. Um, and obviously, there are huge um, economic pressures to do so because it basically it's stopping the 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 the, the old equipment um, uh, delinquency problem, the, the problem when you know kit goes out of date, you know you know you, you have to buy a new TV because it's not a smart TV is the analogy. Yeah, yeah. So it's exact same analogy. So what what we're trying to do here is we're taking a what called an old school 3D printer. We're, we're putting a, a, a piece of kit and integrating it into the, the, the control system and basically then upgrading it. So it's upgrading it in terms of suddenly we now have far more information that we're gathering during the printing process, which can be shared. But then more importantly, we can, we can adapt. We, we, can, we can create new command lines, new instructions to the kit through this, like the, the intelligent controller and feed that back into the system you know, real time or close to real time in order to achieve, you know, some of the benefits that we're talking about. And so it's, it's, it's an interesting area and it's, it, it's, it, it's challenging because sometimes you're having to deal with kit, which is defunct, no longer supported, possibly even the original manufacturers, um, um, you know, gone out of business. Yeah. But because of the, the value of this kit that's out there, I, I, we believe there is a lot of like aligned incentive and, and, and aligned interest in being able to sort of like, you know, create these, you know, adaptive, you know, um, forward looking control systems to, you know, to upgrade the, that, that kit is already out there. So it's repurposing the, the technology. Exactly. Yeah. Repurpos so, and, you know, it's, it's another angle on the net zero thing in some sense, is it yeah. all about, you know, you know re recycling. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you're, you're making things more sustainable in that sense, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, like it's like those, they, they used to sell those uh, digital boxes to turn an old TV into a smart TV. I guess, uh, you know. But yeah, I mean, not so old. I mean, Amazon's still, you know, selling Amazon and um, Google selling Chrome sticks and Fire sticks at quite a rapid rate at the moment. So yeah, it, yeah, yeah. So if you got an old TV, you can still actually yeah. turn it into a smart TV. And it, it's exactly the same analogy. And I think, yeah. but, you know, the difference is your TV cost, what, a couple of hundred quid? 
you know, top of the range 3D printing system is, you know, a couple of million. Yes, yes, yes. So um, I think um, that's very interesting. So do you think there is a big market out there for, for, uh, for such retrofits? Repurposing of- I think so. I mean, it's early days for us. I mean, we're just sort of like proving the concept at the moment and, you know, okay. building up some communities to help look at, you know, in some, um, some cases reverse engineer some of the protocols required. I mean, the issues we're going to come across, to be blunt, are, are, are going to be commercial interests. It's yes. a question of, you know, the equipment vendor, as all equipment vendors across all sectors all over the world, want to sell you the new piece of kit. So that th- their interests are um, obviously they want to keep their customers happy, um, but you know that they make more profit by selling a new piece of kit than helping you, you know, uh, repurpose and upgrade your old piece of kit. Yeah, yeah, that's so, right. So, when we're confident yeah. technically, a lot of these problems can, can be solved. Mm. We really need to look at the uh, the, uh, the broader you know ecosystem support um, that's going to be needed to make it happen. everyone, it's Chloe from the Innovation Network team and I'm here to quickly tell you about the twin annual convention taking place virtually on the 9th of December 2020. Unfortunately, we can't meet in person for the event this year, but we are lucky enough to be joined online by some excellent speakers such as Benjamin Reed from Aspremont and Mark Barnett from Fuliger Technologies. In the afternoon, we will move on to our networking sessions, including one-to-one innovation clinics with our experts in the technology innovation management team. If you wish to find out more information or to register, please visit our website at twi-innovation-network.com. Take care and we hope to see you there. So Nick, I mean, these are all very modern technologies we're talking about here, you know, additive manufacturing, uh, 3D printing, you know, in-situ control, etc. So is this the actual space where digitalization can flourish? So if we think about it, compared with centuries ago, when people were designing and making wonderful structures uh, and, and most importantly durable and sustainable structures, uh, some of which are still standing today. And if you think about it, they did not have any data back then to play with or, or find the optimal window, etc. So where does this place us after all you think? Um, how, how can we almost reach the perfection of some of these grand structures with the tools that we have today? Uh, it's, it's a question that's... Um, you know, uh, when, when you look at the past and the future, I think, you know, you think, how did they make it? You know, it's a structure that's standing for hundreds of years, you know, subject to all sorts of weather conditions. And yet sometimes these days we're struggling with building a, um, a more simpler structure and it just wears out in short space of time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think... <clears throat> Probably the best way to answer that is if you go back to the, the, the four uh, digitization use cases I gave at the outset. So that's, you know, materials, chain of provenance, uh, in manufacturing use and in use. Um, to my mind, three of the four apply, sorry, yeah, three of the four apply to almost all physical manufacturing problems. So that, you know, what materials are going to use, you know, where did you get them from? And how does the, the how does the the device, the machine, the building function you know, post production? They are always the same. Where added the, the whole additive manufacturing thing, 
really starts to play a much more important role in the fourth of the three, which is the in production use. Because the whole point about the additive manufacturing is it's a much more sort of like dynamic uh, one-off um, physical process. So um, I think you know, uh, to, to, to your original point, I mean, the, the digitalization agenda is pertinent to everything. Strongly believe that. Um, in the area, additive manufacturing is, has a particular um, sort of like nuanced interest in that it opens up a whole lot avenue in terms of, you know, like, like dynamic production, mm-hmm. you know, d- dynamic manufacturing. But all of the other facets are, are incredibly important um, to anything else. So if we just change context slightly, um, just by way of explanation, we are involved in um, uh, a new organization called the, uh, the Net Zero Collective. Um, this is looking at um, sort of like building and um, building retrofit. So it's not manufacturing per se, but it is you know, fundamentally adjusting the the the, the physical um, the physical building, but in terms of both its, its energy supply methods and sort of like insulation methods. Now, for and then, you know, the, the, the the net zero um, um, collective is looking very specifically at the retrofit problem. So it's um, it has echoes back to the the TV problem I talked about yeah. before, which is yeah. you know you wanna you wanna improve the situation at zero. So yeah, you could just look to making new buildings um, more efficient. But actually, if you want to have a real impact, you've got to look how do we deal with, with the buildings that are already out there. Yeah. Now the point about that is if you want to identify. What is the best method? What is the best intervention you can apply to that building? You need a lot of really good high quality data to be able to do that. Because there's lots of people offering solutions, you know, you know, the people knocking on your door every day trying to sell you a new um, uh, insulated window, etc. But how do you know it's going to work? So, and in order to do that, you've got to look at all the things you, you talked about. You've got to say, you know, what's your building? you know, physically made of, what are the materials, how is it constructed, where do the parts come from, how do you know they're going to perform to standard, um, and then both before you intervene, like create a, a green intervention, and both after, you need to measure it, you've got to say, did it work, you know, what was its energy performance like before you did the thing, and what's its energy performance like after you do that thing. So it's a, it's a very nice concrete example where all three facets of that that um, sort of like manufacturing sort of like building um, digitalization yeah, is, is vital to the whole net zero initiative. So I guess the, 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 it at some point there will have to be a massive test bed for collecting lots of data, um, depending on the whether it's a building site or an old building for retrofitting purposes. Is this a challenge you think to actually, you know, uh, you, you mentioned quali- good quality data is what's needed. Um, is this a challenge, um, you know? It, it is. And it, I think it's also requires a bit of a change of culture because for a lot of these type of things, you know, the, the classic scientific engineering culture is I want to do a thing. So I need to do it in a lab and then prove it's viable and then do it. Um, but the reality of a lot of these problems, you don't really have that, um, you know, that, that, that ability, that convenience. I mean, yeah. And also lab is where you, you, you're almost like creating an artificial environment. Isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, especially, um, uh, that, that, the net zero building thing specifically, there's two reasons why you can't take that 
you know, lab-based approach. One, the buildings are already out there. It's too late. It's, you know, it's the, 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 the kits in the fields uh, and right. it, it, it's in that context. Secondly, the largest determinant of whether this is going to work or not is not the theoretical engineering design of the, of the green credentials of the building or, or the machine you're talking about, but how is it used? How is it used in practice? And for that, you need a change of culture to a real-time monitoring of existing deployed kit rather than a lab-based um, um, uh, uh, assessment. And, and again, trust comes in. So just taking another analogy, you know, and pertinent to suppose to the whole digitalization and net zero agenda, um, let's take the example of um, Volkswagen and it's, 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 um, its diesel emissions. I mean, you've got, you've got two issues there, basically. One, um, the, the real world efficiencies of green credentials when those vehicles were deployed in use were significantly different to what the lab-based results were. Yeah. And then two, you've got the secondary issue of trust is, well, actually, do you believe the lab-based results sort of like they were created in the first place? So it's all, it's all, these are all sort of like examples that I'm giving to, to, to demonstrate, A, obviously, you know, the need for data, but also a need to shift the mindset to, you know, real-time monitoring of, of real-world deployed devices. And I think that's how will achieve a lot of the benefits benefits that the, that the digitalization agenda offers. Very interesting. Nick, thank you for, um, for this uh, valuable discussion. So um, I think there's a lot to talk about, of course, but um, I'm sure we'll be able to touch on many of these things uh, during the series. Um, and I'm hoping that we can, again, uh, speak to you in the final part of the series um, uh, when it comes to data availability and perhaps security aspects. Uh, but that's, I guess, to come. Um, so uh, on that note, I'd just like to say thank you again. So for anyone listening, um, um, uh, Inquiring Minds is a, a member of our innovation network at TWI. So please um, uh, look out for uh, any information if you're interested in this, Inquiring Minds. Um, and uh, also for any info on TWI Innovation Network, you can find us easily on the web uh, where there are lots of activities that we are planning ahead, um, including a convention that's coming up. Um, so Nick, thanks very much again for your time. Um, uh, I think it, it, it needs really uh, thinking through the challenges and and you know you mentioned mindset changes, etc. I think there's a cultural shift, so it's not a problem to solve overnight, but um, I'm hoping that this discussion um, will help shed some light on some of the um, uh, activities that are out there and how people can approach the problem. Great. No, thank you very much. Enjoyed it. Thanks very much. Goodbye. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you very much to everyone for listening. For more information on Inquiring Minds, you can visit their website at inquiringminds.com. For more information on TWI Innovation Network, please visit our website. It's twi-innovation-network.com. As always, we'd love to hear what you have thought about the show, so please leave your feedback wherever you find this podcast.
You can also reach out to us on LinkedIn and Twitter just by searching for the TWI Innovation Network or email us directly um, by using the email info at twi-innovation-network.com. Once again, thank you very much to everyone for listening. We really appreciate you taking the time out to enjoy our new show. So please take care, stay safe and goodbye.